I invite you to, before it's over, I'll have you clapping for me, so just wait, you know. But I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're studying through Ephesians right now. And the entire chapter, verses 1 through 21, uh, to share Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, the title of the message, uh, and in a moment I will mention some other possibilities, love is the theme. Love is the theme. Let's pray together again. Almighty God, I, I am excited about sharing this word, but I cannot do it of my own. What a great Sunday school lesson this morning where Jesus said that he speaks on behalf of the one who sent him and that we know in our hearts that he is the one. But some speak for their own glory and to those who have the spirit of discernment know that they are speaking for their own glory. Lord Jesus, I pray to speak on behalf of you who has sent me to this moment with your word and may we receive it. Forgive us of our sins in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. I went through quite a few options of titles for the message which helps kind of describe where I am with it and that is love is the theme of this passage of scripture Love is the theme is one of the hymns of our faith. But a lot of the titles that I played with, I played with the title Radical Love because I hope that I emphasize by the time this service is over that God's love is a radical love. I thought about the title Surprised by Love. Some of the people that I will mention here from the scriptures, they absolutely were surprised and taken off guard by how much Jesus loved them. Francis Chan, some years ago, wrote a book entitled Crazy Love and subtitled it, Overwhelmed by a Relentless God. And I really liked the title, but it dates me, and that is of a chorus, Old Time Religion. Give me that old time religion. You sing it three times, and then you say, that's good enough for me. It was good enough for my mother. It was good enough for my father. But the phrase that I like the most is, makes me love everybody. And it is good enough for me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And so, love is the theme. I like to tell the little story. I tell it every once in a while. And that is, and I know it's not true here. I know we should try to be, you know, on target with the group. But this is about a poor fellow that never could stay awake through a whole sermon. And like I say, we don't have that problem here, amen? I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. We don't have that problem here. And it aggravated his wife to no end. And she began, she began to aggravate him. And after church, on the way home, she'd say, what did the preacher preach about? And he would begin to mumble and carry on that he couldn't remember all of it. And he knew he was falling asleep, and she knew it too. Well, you know, us guys, we're a little slow catching on, so he finally decided, I'm going to turn the tables on this. So the next Sunday, she says, what did the preacher preach about? And he said very strongly and boldly, he preached about sin. And she said, well, what did he have to say about it? And he said, well, I can't remember it all, but I guarantee you he was against it. <laughs> well, if somebody does not know what I am preaching on today, 
I want you to know that I am preaching on the love of God. Hallelujah. And I hope that you will say, man, I'm about to get happy here this morning. What did he preach about? He preached about the love of God. What did he say? Well, I can't remember it all, but he was all over it. Amen. God is love. Here's our passage of scripture, point number one of what the apostle is writing to the church at Ephesus. God loves everybody. Chapter three, verses one through seven, and I share with you, and if you go to commentaries, it will tell you that from, from verse one all the way through about verse 14, this is the longest parenthetical statement in the, in the New Testament, and it goes around and around and around. But I can, tell, I can put it to you this way. Verses one through five, the apostle is talking about the wonderful miracle and the mystery of the grace of God and how that God revealed this mystery to him which down through the ages others had not fully grasped. And he says, but it has now been revealed to me. And the key verse here, and we'll set the context. He says, that which God has revealed to me and called me to be a preacher, the dispensation of grace. Verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister of speaking of himself according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. God loves everybody, and I will flesh this out here in just a moment, but I find it difficult all the way through teaching in Ephesians and some of the other letters that at at this juncture in the culture that Paul is in, there were only two groups of people in their minds. Jews, people of Israel, Judaism, God's chosen people, and the rest of us. And it is sad through the generations, Judaism reached the conclusion that you and I don't count. That we don't count. And I read last Sunday night some of the ideas that they had, and one of the basic ideas is, and, and we gotta be careful now, and we're talking, we're talking before Jesus Christ really began to take hold and people began to realize that God loves everybody. Their mindset, Judaism, that's a religion. I'm not talking about people, a person. This is not anti-Semitic or whatever. But Judaism had reached a point where they felt like that, gen, that God created Gentiles to be fodder for the fires of hell. That's where you and I stood 2,000 years ago before Jesus Christ came and walked upon the face of the earth. And Paul, which we know as Saul, who was one of the chiefs, of his religion was doing everything that he could to get rid of Christians and to, to snuff it in its beginning and to kill it. But God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. And I tell you, you better be careful how you fight God because he'll get a hold of you and he'll make you a cheerleader for the very thing that you didn't like. Amen. And so God gets a hold of the apostle Paul, Saul on the road to Damascus and says, I'm telling you now, 
I'm going to make you a missionary and a preacher to the Gentiles. Well, he accepted that call. That's what these opening verses are about. And it seized his heart, which he believes had been a mystery and had been revealed to him, that God loves the whole world and died for the whole world and did not come into this world to condemn any of us, but that through him we might not be condemned. One of the clearest passages of the Apostle Paul's understanding that God loves everybody and the church at Ephesus is primarily a Gentile church. There's a small group of Jews there and he is trying to impress upon them this is something new. This was not available to you before. Last Sunday night I preached out of chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul is telling these Gentiles at one point you were far away, you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. You had no hope but without God in the world. Chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, very well known verse. I quoted John three sixteen coming in here. And that is, in that passage of Scripture, the Apostle says that in Christ, in Christ, and as these come upon your screen, these are labels, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ there is neither slave nor free. In Christ there is neither male nor female. And now I must tell you what this is talking about. These are labels. These are labels of people groups and of mindsets. And when the apostle says there's neither Jew or Greek, what he is talking about here is of all of these groups, God loves all of them. The Jews had become superior in their mind in religion and race. Everything else was out. The Greeks had become superior in their mind in culture and intellect and that the rest of the world were barbarians. The Apostle Paul is saying, those are labels. God does not abide by those labels. And then he says, there is neither slave nor free. These are the rich and the poor. These are the down and out and the up and out. And these, what we're talking about, are people groups that discriminate against one another. In God, in Jesus Christ, there's neither male nor female. And Judaism had really, really put women way off in their respect. What the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here, God loves everybody. He loves Jews. He loves Gentiles. He loves poor people. He loves rich people. He loves men. He loves women. Amen? Equally. I tell it, and one day it looks like I'm going to have to go somewhere and tell it and get it in the paper. Equity, diversity, and inclusion is not new to liberals, progressives, or woke. The church of Jesus Christ is a church of equity and diversity and inclusion. That Jesus does not abide by these labels and God loves everybody and that includes 
you and me. And that includes all us sinners. Amen. Billy Graham's favorite verse was Romans 5, 8, that while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. And loving us, we've got a beautiful hymn also that says, Oh, how he loves you and me. I'm reminded, and our Sunday school lesson started out this morning to, to be remember a teacher that had a real impact on us. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Gordon Kleinard, he was the Billy Graham Professor of Evangelism at Southern Seminary there in Louisville, Kentucky. And he told about one day out making visits, meeting people to share Christ with them. And he walked up to this incredibly huge, wonderful, stately home, and he was intimidated by it. And he went up to the door, and before he rang the doorbell, there was glass panels on each side, and he could see in. He was not peeping, but it was very obvious. Very well-appointed house. And he saw a man in a recliner, a huge television, and a fire going in a fireplace and a very handsome dog laying beside him. Now, is that the picture of perfection? And Dr. Kleinard said that it struck his heart. How am I going to go in here and tell this man, tell this man who has everything that he needs Jesus? And then it hit his heart. Everybody needs Jesus. Amen. It don't matter your race. It don't matter your intellectual level. It does not matter your socioeconomic level. It does not matter your gender. God loves everybody and everybody needs Jesus. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying, look, I realize this is a mystery to y'all, but this is a new day in Jesus Christ. And at verse 6 says that Gentiles are fellow heirs with Jews in the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Friends, that was radical love in that day. Quickly to the second point. We establish God loves everybody. The second point is the church loves everybody. You might say, well, I'm not so sure about that. The church ought to love everybody. The church is to love everybody. Two elements of the church. There's the local church. We are a local church. You know, we're, we're just one church right here. There is the worldwide body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ in the world. We are His hands, we are His feet, we are His eyes, we are His voice, we are His arms, we are His heart. And that church, that church loves everybody. And every local church needs to set as its spiritual goal of whatever else we may be proud of around here, let's be proud that we love everybody. Amen. Let's be proud that we love everybody. Verses 8 through 13. Once again, and I'm telling you, the apostle was a Baptist because he, he repeats himself a lot. Begin, beginning with verse 8, he begins to talk to them again about 
you know, I'm the least of the saints. This was given to me to preach again to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. God made this fellowship of the mystery, which was hidden from the beginning of the ages, who created all things through Jesus Christ. They had no concept that the whole world, the whole world could be one in Jesus Christ. That the whole world could get along and be reunited in Jesus Christ. That's the goal. We know that sin gets in the way. But then in verse 10 he says, all right, I'm here, I'm the preacher, I've been given this understanding, this revelation, and now, verse 10, for the purpose to the intent that now the manifold witness of God might be known by the church. That this understanding that God loves everybody, they were all the same before Jesus Christ regardless of race, regardless of wealth, regardless of intelligence, regardless of, of our gender. The church is calling in this world, it says, that this is to be made known by the church and he includes to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This is fascinating here. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Many years ago, there's a lot of religious commercials beginning to air, you know, trying to catch our attention. But I remember this from years ago. And the, simply the commercial was from God saying, Tell them. I love them. I was pastoring at Central. That'll show you how far back that was. 138 years, I think. And I preached a sermon on tell them I love them. Tell them I love them. That's, that's the number one calling of the church. And everything we do should be communi communicating that. Tell them I love them. Tell them that I love them. And guess what? When a church commits itself to telling people, living for people, ministering for people that I love them, guess what? And this is just beyond my imagination. That church will shake up heaven and hell, friends. When it says, this is to be known unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, you follow all your notes in the Bible, you follow all the little numbers and letters and go to this verse and go to that verse, and everywhere principalities and powers are mentioned, it is talking about spiritual beings, it is talking about angels, it is talking about demons. When we get to Ephesians chapter 6, we will be talking about principalities and powers and the prince of darkness and the prince of the air and what the apostle Paul is saying that when a church loves everybody, angels rejoice. The parables of Luke 15 of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, 
Verse 7 says that there is more rejoicing in heaven among the angels over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous people. I'm telling you, friend, when somebody, somebody gets saved, all heaven rejoices. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible also says that when a church gets serious about loving everybody, telling everybody God loves them, demons tremble. James chapter 2 verse 19, James tells the church, you say you believe in one God. Well, I got news for you. The demons believe that also, but they tremble at his name. God loves everybody. Tell them I love them. Tell it so that angels rejoice. Tell it and live it so that demons tremble. I think about this illustration here, and that is when Rick Warren, and I have told you this before, when Rick Warren founded Saddleback Community Church, just him and his wife and the real estate agent in a real estate trailer in Orange County, California, and today they're 30-something thousand plus members, and you know him, we primarily know him as Purpose Driven Life. And that is, as their church got started, they began to have people to baptize and they didn't have a baptistry. So they got in touch with a neighboring church. Can we borrow your baptistry? I get calls like that every once in a while. Can we borrow your baptistry? Of course you can borrow our baptistry. Of course you can. So they, they ask a neighboring church and the neighboring church and say, we'll have to take it up with our deacons. They got back to him a little later and said, we're sorry, but um, we don't think that we can share our baptistry with our competition. Friend, that right there. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what we have in common with every church in Waycross and in the world. And that is, we have the same Jesus Christ. We here in this area are serving the same community. And we need to be reminded that we have the same competition and it's not the Methodist church down the road or the Baptist church across town. Our competition is the devil himself. We are not competing with any other church. We are competing with the powers of evil and when we love, we are shaking up heaven and hell. Quick, because my clock's running fast. Yeah. Radio station will cut it down. But I think about the story from missions, and it fits so perfectly here, of a remote village, little thatched huts, out in heavily, heavily bushy, grassy areas. And a mother was working around a cook fire pit, had a little one there that was just beginning to move around good, and you know how it can happen. She just kind of turned her back for a moment and the child had disappeared. Panicked. The whole village came out, looking at these tall brush Dangers in those brush. Snakes and tigers in this area. And they began to beat the brush and they began to look for that child and time passed and they didn't find it. And finally somebody 
came up with the idea, let's join hands like we would do policing the grounds somewhere. Let's join hands and go through the brush. Within seconds, they found the baby. The mama cried out. Why didn't we join hands sooner? Friends, we're in trouble in the world. And it's time that the people of God, the church of God joined hands. I don't care what the denomination, I don't care how big or how small, the church is to love everybody. And when we do that, oh, I've got to hurry. We'll begin to see people like Paul get saved here who are fighting, rebelling against God. We'll begin to see people like the Samaritan woman get saved here who was so confused in her life choices. We'll begin to see people like Zacchaeus saved who was living high on the hog, but he was not happy. We'll begin to see people like Nicodemus get saved who was a religious leader, but he did not have peace in his heart. We'll begin to see people getting saved like you and me got saved because Jesus was the answer to the needs of our heart. And now the last. Love is a theme because God loves everybody and the church, the real church of Jesus loves everybody. And we love God. We love God. These closing verses is a prayer. The prayer of Paul. And the heart of the prayer the heart of the prayer is that we, in verse 17, would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would comprehend the width, length, and depth, and height of the love of God, very similar to a passage in Romans that says, neither width, nor length, nor depth, nor height will ever separate us from the love of God, and that we would know the love of Christ in all the fullness of God. That's his prayer for us. One last story. A little family is on a cruise. In the evening, calm sea, a father and the little girl are standing there on deck, taking in the beautiful evening. They're a very spiritual family. She's overcome by the nature of it all. And she asked her father, she said, how much does God love us? And he said, God loves us more than the height of the sky. God loves us more than the depth of this ocean. She's looking around. And God loves us more than the width of this ocean. A moment of silence, and then she said, and isn't it wonderful to be right here in the middle of all that love. Love is the theme. God loves everybody. We as the people of God, our spiritual challenge is to love everybody and to love God and to enjoy being right here in the middle of all that love. Hallelujah. Y'all want to hear it again? No, I'll let you go. We sing a hymn of invitation. Oh my goodness, if you've never rejoiced in, accepted, followed that God loves you, cares for you, died for you. It doesn't matter what baggage you bring, bring it to the altar. 
and God will carry it for you. Just come